The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world who thinks that Shohei Otani will end up going to the Saudi Arabian Soccer League for $300 million. I'm Jake Mintz. That's Jordan Schusterman. People aren't talking about that deadline day move. Jake, do you mean $300 billion? Because $300 million is not going to be nearly enough to get Shohei Otani in the Saudi Soccer League. I'm simply talking about the transfer free transfer fee, Jordan. Oh, just the fee, let alone the actual contract. Yes, uh, very plausible uh, as that deadline is surely approaching. No, we are not going to be talking about soccer that much. We're going to get to a little bit of messy chatter later on in this Monday edition of Baseball Barbacast. We'll start by running you through the weekend results, uh, kind of reflect on what's changed in the trade deadline landscape since we previewed it last week. Wednesday, we're going to talk about Sal Freelich, who is here to entertain the Brewers faithful. Uh, and then we have some other topics, including Scott Boris getting emotional. Scott Boris getting emotional. All right, that's an interesting topic. But Jake, as we always do on Monday, let us review our series results. We had yeah. some sweeps. No mops. No mops this weekend, but we did have some sweeps. So uh, let's let's start running through these series. Yankees sweeping the Royals at home. You can hear the Bronx sigh of relief. Ah, Inhale. The Royals are in town. Beat the crap out of them. Exhale. Exhale. Now, let's say, Jake, it wasn't that easy. There were moments of tension in this series, but they did what they needed to do. This is the definition of taking care of business, though it was not the most emphatic uh, business uh, completion that I've ever seen. Two main takeaways from this weekend. One, Jordan, you sent me this video of Giancarlo Stanton running on what appears to be a hidden treadmill (laughs) underneath the dirt around third base at Yankee Stadium. There were a lot of tweets about how this is when you turn the speed rating on MLB The Show down to one. He's running uh, like his legs are made of cement. It is not exactly someone who exudes athleticism. This is Stanton trying to score from first base and successfully scoring from first base on a double to the left field gap. Now, what this makes me think of, because Stanton's athleticism is one of the more interesting 
kind of uh, conundrums that we have in baseball today because when you just look at him and it's like there's nothing there's nothing better than this guy right we know he used to be this incredible football player or whatever but the injuries have taken him down to this very delicate and uh, uh, very very cautious athlete and so my question to you about Stanton running here is is he actually at max speed or is this him trying to not get injured or is it a little bit of both it's a little bit of both, and they layer on top of one another. Him yes. trying not to get injured, and he's already slow because yes. of the injuries, it's compounding. The last thing that it reminds me of is you've driven a U-Haul before, right? <laughs> <laughs> In and New like, York City, you, yeah. Yeah, like, but if, you, if you've driven, that's different than driving it on the highway. Very different because having driven it on the highway, maybe you've driven on the highway, like it can only, no matter how hard you're kind of pressing on the gas and how much noise it's making, you're not, you can only accelerate so much. And that's kind of what it felt like. Like I felt like I was watching him round third. I felt like I was, you know, pedal to the metal line of you all trying to go up a hill. That's what it felt like. <laughs> oh, that is really but sad. Then, and then, but the- then Credit to him because I was like, it was like this morning. I was like, hey, did you see the clip of Stanton running really slow? You're like, no, I didn't. I was like, oh, well, just look it up on Twitter. And you you searched his name. And then all you saw was him at the Drake concert with, with Aaron Judge. Great work by the Stanton PR team to say, hey, hey, man, go walk out with Drake. No one will see this video of you running really slow. Everything will be fine. Well, good work on getting him with Judge and Drake. Because we're at a point now in the Giancarlo Stanton narrative where is he good enough to be walking out with Drake (laughs) at Madison Square Garden on a Saturday night? No way. He's certainly well paid enough. And I also think that that he is still that level of famous and he is still playing for the Yankees and they won. So he gets to go do that. I understand that. But I think that there are guys (laughs) in the Yankees more than him who deserve this honor. Ian Hamilton should be the one, you know, Clay Holmes should be strolling out with Judge and Drake at the concert. That's all I'm saying. My my real take here, and I hope someone this morning delivers this opinion genuinely, is that Aaron Judge should not be putting unnecessary weight on his injured toe by walking out at the Drake concert. Does he really care about the Yankees? Is this the behavior you need from your captain? If he wants to be up in a a cushy suite with with that leg elevated with that toe elevated <laughs> sounds good to me but we can't have him i mean that is way 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 too risky i totally agree but we still took some live batting practice looked great he fouled off some pitches he's totally ready to go gotta know how to foul off those pitches if you want to succeed at the big leagues anyway that's the yankees sweeping the royals other sweeps the reds getting right on a w5 over the d-backs who are scuffling a bit the nats Sweeping the Giants, not the New York Giants, the San Francisco Giants. The Washington Nationals are just, they're a, a respectable bad baseball team. Yeah, okay? they're definitely your your favorite bad team for sure. Oh, yeah, because they're not an embarrassment. Mm-hmm. And they could have been, but they're mm-hmm. not. They are surpassing expectations, and yet they're still bad. That is worth a tip of the cap. Like, they're 10 games better than maybe we thought they were, right? <laughs> and if... If that happened to most other teams, we'd be stoked. First sweep uh, in over two years for them. So congrats to the Nats. And C.J. Abrams is looking good. We'd love to see it. Twins sweeping the White Sox. It is time to implode the Chicago White Sox. If I would move that team to Vegas, Jordan. (laughs) 
I mean, I will say the twins didn't exactly look amazing at points this weekend either, particularly in that last game. But uh, they, they, they also, I guess, took care of business in this sense against their uh, division rival. And White Sox season just keeps getting worse. Good to see Byron Buxton have some good swings after I made fun of him for being one for 38 on Friday. Tim Anderson has a 378 batting average and an 871 OPS since the All-Star break in nine games. Is hey, nine Tim games, An- though. That's more nine. than one game, and he has not been good for more than two games at a time for the whole season. So this is a big step forward. I uh, dunked on Tim Anderson last week with Foolish Baseball. I've changed my mind. I've done a 180. I'm buying low on TA. I'm in. I think he was hurt and playing through stuff. I don't think you can go. It's actually this simple. I don't think it's possible to go from being elite, borderline elite, to horrendous without getting hurt when you're 31 years old. I just think you have to be playing through something. Your production cannot change that meaningfully unless you are injured or you have changed your approach your process in a significant way. This is not how baseball works, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I would love to see, I said this last week, like he is the most interesting player that I could imagine being traded in the non-Otani division. Like I, I really think it would be awesome to see someone uh, take a swing there, but uh, we'll, we'll see. It's, it's still, you still don't totally know what you're getting there, but it would be very, very cool to see. He had a nice swing against Duran, which was nice. Um, just not the kind of swing he's had at any point this season. So, but there White were Sox three, again. <laughs> there were three opportunities that did not actualize three to one series wins the Cubs over the Cardinals. I have zero to say about that. Astros over the A's. That's par for the course. The A's have another, uh, A's fans, another little protest coming up this week. They're playing the Giants at Oracle Park. So they're doing like a Unite the Bay, get Giants fans behind selling the team, arguing, you know, getting the Giants fans behind the idea that it's better for baseball to have the A's there. And that'll be really cool. Expect interesting scenes uh, at Oracle Park this week in San Francisco. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And that that makes me think of like how, right, like rivalries. It's like, okay, yeah, your rivalry, whatever. But also it is it is something that you want to keep and like Giants fans would like to have that still be a thing, I'm sure. Um, even I'm sure there's some the people that don't give a shit or that are just greedy and selfish in some parts of the Giants organization might be like, great, we have it all to ourselves, whatever. But in general, I think they know that it's better if this is a, a two a two team city or at least area. And then the Orioles. Whoo! Hey, hot birds, the Balmer Orioles. Strolling down to the trap and taking three out of four from the Tampa Rays to go two up in the American League Beast. The Orioles' first win in Tampa Bay since 1906. Very impressive stuff from them. O's fans packing the place. A lot of orange down there in the dome. Impressive to see. Driving up from Sarasota to tell the Rays fans who means business. Ryan O'Hearn staying hot. I tweeted this. He is leading the American League's best team in OPS plus inexplicably another home run on Sunday off the opposite field foul pole. Gunnar Henderson is elite. Adley Rushman keeps getting on base and the Baltimore Orioles are two up. Mallory Rubin is tweeting about them. I'm getting texts from <laughs> extended family members, Jordan Schusterman. I'm, the vibe I'm is back you, at Camden Arts. I'm glad you mentioned that 
there are a lot of Orioles fans there. Because obviously we see Yankees fans packing the trap all the time. Of course, there's plenty of those in Tampa and even Red Sox fans too. Phillies like, fans when the Phillies were there because yep. all they're all the Clearwater sure, but they're people. you know they're they're only they're not there as often. And it's like, but there's no reason. But it, this is the thing: you just need to have a good team. And now it's like there's plenty of old people from Baltimore down there, let alone all the Orioles fans in Sarasota. So I, it's, it does not surprise me. And that was a very very impressive Gunner's home run. Oh my god, his power is just absurd. So impressed with him. He has been on fire lately. Now we have reached a very murky place. In the American League. Mm. Jordan, who is the best team in the AL? Who is the yeah. favorite to be the World Series representative in the American League? <laughs> the Astros. <laughs> I mean, like, that still feels like they're just close enough to where I still feel like they're the answer, even though they're probably not the answer. But I also don't feel bad saying it, you know? I would walk into a room in the National League and scream, Braves. And then say Dodgers and feel very confident in exactly. those two. Right, right. But in the American League, I there is nothing. And now yeah. part of that is because even if the Orioles win the AL East by twenty games, I there's still skepticism because we just haven't seen them do it. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which yeah, is fair and, that's, and unfair. That's. I mean, to be clear, like it's not that these teams aren't good. It's not like the yeah. Orioles aren't really good, or that the Rays aren't really good, or that the Rangers aren't really good, right? Like it's, it's not, just that not don't, definitive. It's not definitive. It's just not definitive, and we don't trust any of them. Which is why, like, again, we aren't big uh, bet on baseball guys at all. But like, I imagine this would be the best odds you could get on Houston in literally seven years, and that feels like a probably decent bet, just because you know. That they will be the one team that knows exactly what the fuck they're doing. Which, to be fair, you could sort of say about Tampa, considering some of the postseason success they've had not that long ago relative to the Orioles and relative to Texas. Um, but at the same, obviously, Minnesota hasn't won anything in the postseason. So, I don't know, man. I'm still, uh, I'm still like, I guess, just going to default to Houston and don't feel that bad about it. Yeah, I really have no idea. One last O's thing. Shouts out to Grayson Rodriguez. Coming back to the bigs, steadying the ship a little bit. Two good starts so far since he returned from AAA. Okay, let's talk about the regular series wins. Rockies over the Marlins. Do you smell that, Jordan? That is the stinky fish being left out. Someone dumped toxic sludge into the lake because all the fish are dead. Marlins, you have not been making us proud. They lost like seven or eight in a row. They almost got swept. I mean, it was it was not an easy uh, easy you know salvaging of that series, but they managed to to sort of survive. But that is just not not what you're looking for. That that is the opposite of like I think we said it last week. It's like oh you know good for the Yankees. You know they've got the Royals coming to town. Rockies on the road. Like if you are serious about the postseason, you have to win that series if not sweep it. So. Are the Marlins totally toast? No, but they have a lot of work to do now. They they are going to have to get some help in the next couple of weeks and then start playing a lot better in a lot of parts of their roster. 6-12 and 12 in July. Luis Arise batting average down to a minuscule, paltry 379. It's great when you see it next to starting catcher Nick Fortes and his batting average of 212. <laughs> also, the Rockies going five infielders. <laughs> On Luis Arise was an all-time uh, self-own. 
they were like, surely this guy who can hit the ball wherever he wants will not hit it to literally a completely wide open right field to win the game. That will no, he would not do. Oops. That. Oh, no, whoops. My bad. Padres taking two out of three over the Tigers. San Diego oh. just can't get a sweet Please. man. They just. Please, Padres. Like, just, they almost did it. They win the first two in Toronto. And like, here we go. Oh, a shutout. Like, they win the first two in Detroit. Oh, just Detroit. Oh, no, can't do it. Oh, my God. Come on. This weekend, my fiance and I went to look at some wedding venues, Jordan, up in, up in Westchester. And we went to this really lovely Greek restaurant on Saturday. And we ordered a little too much food. And so we had an extra chunk of Spanakopita that I was able to bring home. And yesterday... Okay. Afternoon, I popped that Spanakopita in the microwave, and no matter what, dude, I could not get that Spanakopita hot. And that is the San Diego Padres. <laughs> this Padres team, with all of these good and famous baseball players, has still yet to win four games in a row this season. I mean, I they couldn't even get three, you know, this past week. But they cannot win. The W4 has been completely out of reach for these Padres that is so ridiculous. Okay, anyway, they're they're still sort of in it, but like, my God, so frustrated. Dodgers over the Rangers at Globe Life. Shades of the 2020 World Series. So much weird PTSD there. So much I, Max Muncie home, massive home run action. Like, I was expecting Kevin Burkhart to hop on the screen and tell me someone had COVID. Mm -hmm. I, it was just very odd seeing the Dodgers back in that space. Corey Seager out on the 10-day IL, uh, sprained his thumb sliding into a base. The Dodgers just whooping the Rangers in the first two games. Again, definitive. They are better yeah. than the Rangers. And then Grand Slam in the first inning on Sunday, and then Emmett Sheehan just stopped throwing strikes, and then the Rangers scored a bunch of runs. But still, it was it was kind of a, a humbling, I would describe it, for, <laughs> for Texas uh, to really, really see what it's like to play some of the, the best in the game, I know Adolis got hit by a pitch too. So, I mean, they, the Rangers are also, I, I've said this, I really expect them to do something nuts in the next uh, week and a half. Like that is a team who has acted aggressive in all facets over the last few years. And I would not expect that to change as they still have this grand opportunity to win the division. The Guardians taking two out of three over the Phillies at home. Phillies taking the Sunday game. They were up one in the ninth, two outs. David Fry game-tying home run for Cleveland off of Craig Kimbrell, who's been dynamite all season long. But then the Phillies put up four in the top of the 10th to take the Sunday game. The headline here, though, Jordan, Bryce Harper, first baseman. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what was it? Like 30 seconds into his first game, he dove into the camera well, made a great catch. And yeah, I mean, it's nice. Nice. I'm sure Alec Bohm's enjoying being on the other side of the field again. It's uh, it's cool. It's it's nice to see Bryce. It's it's just like seeing Bryce in new spots, right? Like Bryce catches the the catches a double play ball, right? They turn a double play and Bryce catches it and you know tosses the ball to the mound. Like it's like a new. We're seeing him in new context, as subtle as they are. But for baseball dorks like us, and for someone like Bryce Harper who means so much to us, it is fun to see. The Mariners taking two out of three over the Blue Jays in the fight. For Vancouver, hmm. who means more in the Pacific Northwest? The Mariners almost getting the sweep. They had a chance on Sunday. Runners on first, or sorry, runners on second and third. One out in the ninth. Couldn't get the job done in a one-run game. Positive weekend, though, for Seattle. 
Yeah, I mean, we've talked about, you know, sequencing of series wins is always huge. Losing on Sunday sucks so much, <laughs> no matter what the series win series, because series wins don't actually count for anything, right? Like, sure, you won two out of three, which is better than losing two out of three, but that's <laughs> the standings are not just series wins. And so to lose on Sunday in that manner, where Julio, again, I love the guy, obviously, coming up short there at the end. Uh, Blue Jays played him tough. I mean, it was a great series. Like, two, honestly, three of the best games I've, I've watched all season. Frustrating in a lot of senses. I imagine both fan bases probably come out of that weekend very frustrated. The Mariners, if they win that game Sunday, they're two and a half back in the wild card. Yeah. And with that loss, they're four and a half back. That feels a lot different with one week until the deadline. Uh, yep. Other couple series, Braves taking two out of three over the Brewers. This was, uh, I went out Saturday night. Jordan uh, played some cards at a bar outside. This game was on in the background, Saturday night game. Uh, you know, when you're out in the world doing non baseball stuff and there's a game on and it feels ex especially special when things yeah. are happening in the world, like you're just running into baseball. You're no, not sitting like, down wow, and seeing it. I didn't, this, this just is here for me. What a, what a great thing. Exactly. And I'm just sitting there watching Devin Williams with people being like, look at, look, look it's moving every direction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and this was one where I felt like I kept seeing awesome Brewers highlights and the Braves still win the series, right? Ozzy Albies with a massive go-ahead homer. I don't know why Elvis Peguero was in that spot. Um, that was a little strange because the Brewers bullpen has all kinds of better options. But Braves, this was a casual, like, we're the best team in baseball. We'll find a way to win the series, even if it feels like the Brewers are doing a lot of good things. And we'll talk about South Freelick in a little bit. Let's talk about him right now, Jordan. South Freelick. Uh, again, Freelick, not Freylick, a mistake yeah. that I am sure to make over the rest of the I, I've made it, and I've been writing about it for multiple years, so I I believe it is Freelick, yes. Rookie called up to make his debut. He had three hits in his first game for the Brewers. Three Playing hits and right, two unbelievable catches in one inning. Yeah, um, out in right field. He's yeah. a super interesting, unique player. Physically, he is the – he is – the person in the big leagues I'm most built like. He is 5'10", 195. I am 5'10", 195. Other than that, that's where the similarities end because he is a freakazoid athlete. Yeah, and uh, I profiled him when he got drafted uh, out of Boston College two years ago. And, you know, you hear the multi-sport thing all the time. But his was fun because it wasn't just he was an amazing, of course, he was an amazing quarterback and he threw for 50 million yards and Massachusetts high schooler, also a hell of a hockey player, which we love to see. <laughs> and surprisingly, uh, little, little Sal Freelick was not uh, balling out on the basketball court, although I'm sure he was, just not to the same degree as he was on the football field or on the ice. Um, but yeah, this dude was barely focusing on baseball in a, in a significant way until basically right before his his college career started at Boston College and just the kind of player he is 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 so fun I'm trying to think of you know we you know of course we've, we've talked so much about Corbin Carroll and Corbin Carroll's an, an interesting comparison uh Freelick's more stout like he's more built whereas Carroll is obviously strong but he doesn't necessarily look as as strong and and kind of fire hydranty in like the Jose Ramirez is the best version of that where, and I think folks a little bit bigger than Jose Ramirez, but just really, really well, really kind of really well formed. But his game is, is as he will describe it, you know, spark plug, everything like the power isn't necessarily there, but he, he's got some pop, definitely not of the Corbin Carroll variety, 
but just the way that he can impact it, of course, on the bases in the, in the field, he's spraying it around in a, in a kind of a way that you would expect. I mean, it's, it's interesting because, you know, they had Garrett Mitchell come up and he's a little bit more of the prototypical, like he's more of six, two, like big speed, big power center fielder. Freilich is, doesn't work that well. Like he's probably going to be a corner guy. But what a fun player to have. And it clearly has hit right away, which is amazing. He's hit all the way up for a guy who really was not facing advanced competition until he was 20 years old is so impressive. He's not a particularly powerful rotator. Mm-hmm. And that is the biggest difference between him and Carroll. Like Carroll has so much irrational pop in his wrists. And that's why he's going to hit 25 home runs. Freilich is more like scooping a ball low and into the pull side. Like he's not going to unleash on a baseball. That being said, his barrel control is freakish and he's going to have a lot of situations where he's just slapping a fastball away through the whole neck, you know, the five, six hole between the shortstop and the third baseman. Going to be a lot of that super fun player to watch. Let's run through the rest of the series here, Jordan, before we take a break. We've yet to say angels over the pirates, the halos getting hot at the right time. Love to see this. I think at this point, 10 a.m., Monday, July 24th, I would say 6% chance Otani gets traded. They're too yeah. close. Yeah. No, I think that this is – I think they were probably always going to be end up being too close. I think they have the Tigers – or I think they're going to the Tigers. So the interesting thing now is they're about to go on a nine-game road trip. I saw a tweet yesterday – of like a bunch of Angels media people like taking a picture before the game because they were like, wait, shit, there's like a small chance this is Otani's last home game (laughs) here with the Angels, which is like wild to think about. And again, I don't think is actually going to be the case, but still they are about to go on a nine game road trip that extends past the the deadline. But I agree with you. I think they're going to be right there, um, which I think is for the best. I know we have all been making crazy Otani trades for the last week. Uh, for the last month, whatever, two months. It's been fun. By the way, by the way uh, great job as uh, Heim Bloom on the Effectively Wild Otani trade game. That was very fun. I enjoyed everyone's uh, impersonations of the GMs on that. I encourage everyone to go check out both of our cameos on the Effectively Wild Otani trade game, which again, like he's not getting traded, but it was a very fun listen. So I'm glad we got to do that. But I have to say too, speaking of Otani, Henry Davis. Yeah. Henry Davis. Former podcast guest, number one overall pick two years ago, is balling out for the Pirates right now. I know a lot of the rest of their team has been struggling since he came up, but he looks fantastic. He looks like their best hitter, and he became the first guy to homer off Otani twice in the same game, and he made it look easy, and it was really fucking cool. (laughs) I gotta say, Henry's been super fun to watch lately, and uh, I'm glad Pirates fans can at least cling to him because not a lot else has been going super well for them lately. But I agree the Angels, they're going to be right there in it. Do I think they're making the postseason? Still probably not, but I am going to enjoy watching Otani try and will them to October. Last one, Red Sox over the Mets. The Mets have been fine in July, but probably not hot enough to warrant going for it at the deadline. The Red Sox, however, are two back of Toronto in the wild card. I can envision a scenario where Chaim Bloom does the sell-buy thing at the same time again. I don't imagine they'll trade James Paxton, who has been sneaky awesome for them and a very reliable starter. But I think the Red Sox, like, I don't know what to make of this team. They're tied with the Yankees at 53 and 47. I have no passionate thoughts 
about the Boston Red Sox. When I come up with them, I will let you know. I think that is it. That is all the baseball that was played over the weekend, all the news that's fit to print on a podcast. Let's take a quick break, Jordan Schusterman. And when we get back, we will run through a couple very random topics on our way to the promised land. This is former PGA Tour winner Smiley Kaufman, host of The Smiley Show, a SiriusXM podcast. You want to know what I love about golf? I get to talk to some really cool people. I get to walk the fairways of the best courses in the world with the best players in the world, and I get to share it with you every single week. Listen to The Smiley Show right now on Stitcher, Pandora, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's Smiley, S-M-Y-L-I-E. And welcome back to Baseball Barbacast. I'm Jake Mintz. That is Jordan Schusterman. And we have a rumor. Open the fridge, grab the hot sauce from the side door, and dump it all over whatever you're having for breakfast because there's spice percolating up through the baseball interwebs. Mark Fansigned. Mark (laughs) Feinsand of MLB.com, friend of the show, has tweeted. And this is what Mark kind of sounds like. The Reds have told other teams they're willing to trade 2021 NL Rookie of the Year. Jonathan India for young control with starting pitching. Persources. Cincinnati is a glut of young infielders. Steer, Dela Cruz, McLean, and Cardasio and Strand with more on the way. Marte Arroyo Collier. Um, I don't know how on the way Cam Collier is considering he's still 18 years old. But the point remains, Jonathan India is superf- eh, superfluous is not the word. Repetitive. Uh, they don't need him. They would like to have him. He's important to that team, as I'm sure you know, being around. But they have quite a lot of infield talent, and he is certainly someone who would garner a lot of interest on the trade market. Uh, two things on this. First of all, where would you uh, you go to a Thai restaurant and they say, how spicy? How spicy do you want it? Where is this? I, I Now, maybe this is part of my second point. We already had this discourse a couple months ago. So I, maybe I'm used to the spice. This is a spice I've already been kind of processing for the last few months. But like, wh- where does this rumor... Now, again, we we haven't had that many moves yet. And we haven't even had that many crazy rumors yet. And so this feels like a big deal, especially dropping it on a Monday morning. But where is this for you on so, the spice level? Some, there really are two different ways to do spice level, right? At a Thai place. Really any <laughs> restaurant. There's like the mild, medium, spicy. And then there's like the five peppers. I went to a Thai place recently that was out of 10, like one, two, three, four, which what is the difference between a six and a seven? What is it between a three and a four? You know what I mean? I went, I went to a place actually recently in Cincinnati where they told me like, like four, it was one to 10 and they were like, four is a lot. Like if you want a lot of spice, like get four. I'm like, four is a lot. Like what? What, what are we talking about here? Like I'm like great, then give me give me a one or a two, and I'll be on my way. But like, who is actively ordering seven, Jordan, eight, nine? Jordan, that is an NFWP, not for white people Thai restaurant. Then, jeez, oh uh, where do I think this is on the spice level? I think it's notable that the rumor has bobbed back up above the water, right. which tells me that the Reds are recirculating. It is a different round of, hey, we have Jonathan India. We're looking for control with starting pitching. Mm-hmm. Also, just to remind people, this came up two months ago 
maybe three months ago, before Ellie De La Cruz was called up, Ken Rosenthal and C. Trent Rosecrans wrote about this concept about what they're going to do with Jonathan India. That was not presented at the time as the Reds have told other teams they're willing to trade him. That was a looking at the situation that is, you know, coming up this season and wondering how it is going to work. Now, I also think, so I, I agree with you, like that element, assuming we trust Mark's reporting, which I do, is is notable. And there's the obvious off the field stuff, which is that like Jonathan India, for all you can, it's easy to roll your eyes if you're not a Reds fan and you don't care and you see all these other guys, is truly like he's the guy. Like I know it's like, oh, what about Joey Votto? But like Joey Votto is, he's in his own literal corner. Like he, of course, is in his own sphere. But like this team, especially as it has been handed over to the next younger group, is very much led by Jonathan India. Like full, fully, entirely, it is his. And so that is why that is a, a real thing. And where the Reds have gotten this far in a lot of ways, not just because they have a bunch of more talented players than teams or than people realize. It is because guys like Jonathan India are like, yeah, no, we we don't we don't give a shit about what people think about us. Like we are going to go out there and we are going to win. And so that would be a pretty bold move. At the same time, like it is a logical step if you are looking for control starting pitching, which they clearly desperately are. Although I will say they've they've gotten some better performances recently, especially from guys like Brandon Williamson. I still would expect them to trade for some sort of starting pitcher. I would be very – like, this just does not – especially in the middle of the season. I could see them making this step in the offseason much easier to kind of stomach that and understand a full, like, kind of a hard reset or, like, a big team roster construction decision in the offseason. I would be floored if we saw them move him in the next couple of weeks. The Brewers did this last year in the middle of the year with Josh Hader, right? And Brewers players straight up were like – this sent a horrible message to the team and they kind of fell apart down the stretch. Mm-hmm. And now it's looking good. <laughs> and now it's looking <laughs> now good. But the, but I'm saying like for a hater wasn't even like a leader necessarily on the team. He was just a good player. So the you pe- have to that be people very, liked. Yeah. that people liked. And so you have to be careful about the deals you're making at the deadline and how it will impact the perception within the clubhouse. And I think that some GMs are aware of that and think about it. And some are just like, fuck it. We're, we're going to win anyway. We'll, we'll get good talent. Yeah. And I think Nick Crawl is aware of that. I don't think this is a, a case of a disconnect. I think this is a case of him doing his job and unfortunately it getting out and that being unfortunate. Like that sucks because yeah. I, I don't think they're going to do this, at least not during the season. All right, Jordan. Scott Boris cried. <sighs> Scott Boris cried, or at least came very clear. It seemed like, I mean, did we see visual tears? I don't know. It might be a little strong, but Scott Boris at the Dylan Cruz introductory press conference at Nats Park over the weekend, got very emotional. This is fascinating. I would like to play the clip, if possible. Today, the final point of our negotiation was to ask that Annette Lerner come and meet Dylan and his family. And she came today. And she's a special lady, and we all have a very... Lost head. <clears throat> we all built a championship here. And we did it with core players like Rendon and Harper and Strasburg and, and Worth. And to see this next generation come and with Mark and Judy and and uh, and having Annette here. I wanted the the 
Crew's family and Dylan to meet that history, to share in it and, and watch it grow and let her meet the, the next future of the next generation of what Ted wanted. All right. So why is this interesting? A lot of reasons. It is interesting to me, first off, Jordan, because Scott Boris is the most kind, at least the perception of him, right? Super agent, cold, calculating, will get the most money for his clients, no matter the costs. And we have this image of him as being kind of a ruthless, hard man. And to see him get emotional and well up in a setting like that was odd and memorable. Now, we should give some context as to why he's getting emotional here. Owner of the Nationals, Ted Lerner, passed away earlier this year, and he's referencing Ted's uh, wife, Annette, who is kind of now the matriarch of the family. And I'm not sure if she's the controlling member of the team. I think she yeah. is. I mean, her and, of course, her son, her Mark, son Mark, are, are, the, are now still, you know, the Lerner family, who, of course, it is also worth noting, as far as we we knew, was at least interested in selling the team um, in the last you know year or so. Um, and Ted passing away uh, in February was a big. That was obviously a, a very important development in the way that this family has been thinking about this franchise, no matter where they are at in this rebuild. But the obvious context here is not just, of course, that he had some relationship with Ted Leonard who passed away recently. It's that it is not a secret. Like Scott Boris has done more business with the Nationals, more big business with the Nationals than probably any other team in the league. And when he is talking about, he kind of references how important it was for, you know, Dylan Cruz to, to meet Annette and to, you know, meet the Lerner family and understand what is a, a family and an organization that means a lot to Scott Boris. Like that is a true thing. And of course, it's easy to roll your eyes. Like, yeah, of course, because they've made you hundreds of millions and millions of dollars. And that is true. And that is true. But it is a reminder of the kinds of relationships that people like Scott Boris need to have with ownership in order to make a lot of these things happen. And when ultimately a lot of them did lead to great successes, and we know some of them have, have not worked out as we think about what happened with Steven Strasburg after you know, the World Series. But at the same time, this has been an inextricable link between Boris and the Nationals and the Learners for over a decade now. And so it did not surprise me to see him kind of communicate that. Like that's not, is that the reason why Dylan Cruz is on the Nationals now? Not necessarily, right? But it worked out that way. And that's also why Scott Boris wanted to be there and clearly wanted to make a big point of this. He said we. I mean, he said we built a championship here. Yeah. And it's clear that the 2019 Nats title means something to Scott Boris, which again is interesting because we think of him as all the, you know, from his perspective, all the teams are the same. They're just piggy banks handing out dollars and cents to his various clients. But I'm sure that Scott takes immense pride in the 2019 Nats title because of how many of his players were involved in it and how many of those guys he helped steer there, whatever. But it was just fascinating to see that said out loud and to oh, see yeah. the emotion and mm -hmm. what this, it was just fascinating yeah. for Scott Boris to exhibit that in that setting unprompted too, yeah. right? The question he was asked was something about recognizing when Dylan Cruz was good. And he went out of his way to mention Annette Lerner, 
meeting Dylan Cruz and Strasburg and Worth and all these other names that he helped uh, represent. It's just such a very odd thing that we've never really seen before from him. Yeah, but but it was also like all the quote unquote jokes that we make about Boris and the Nationals and oh, of course they'll just draft the the Boris guys and they'll do. It's like yeah, but like that's not that's not fake. <laughs> like that's a real thing. And like there's clearly so much trust there. And you can debate whether that's a good or a bad thing because of how much good and how much arguable bad has come out of some of those relationships and some of those contracts. Um, obviously, it's good for the players. I'm happy for all these players that have gotten paid all this money and whatever. They're not, but like you know, there, there's debates about how much it's really been a, a good or a bad thing for the future and and past of the, of the organization. But as you said, like once you win it, man, like <laughs> that's why. Like they, and the learners know that too. They they all know. Everyone, Mike Rizzo knows that. Like you you got to think about how much trust that is in that room, right? Not just with the learners, but also with Rizzo. There's so much more than that. There, of course, Boris does deals with all kinds of other teams, but like that was that was unique. That was definitely unique, and it was a very interesting glimpse into as we talk about one of the more fascinating people that we have in the sport. I think the Washington Nationals, as an organization, have bigger problems than Scott Boris's influence within it. Is what I would communicate to Nats fans. I think the team's oh, sure. inability to develop players over the last really ten years, even when they won is a much bigger issue than Scott Boris's players ending up in red and white. Totally. No, and, and I don't have a sense. I, I I could be exaggerating the degree to which people view this as an issue, uh, but it is it is fascinating because it's been a talking point. And then to see it to see it come out in that way was was truly, yeah. truly interesting. Uh speaking of Washington-based stuff, friend of the show, Jesse Doherty over the Washington Post wrote a great article that came out this morning about batting practice, about how teams are rethinking the way that batting practice should run. Jordan, thoughts. How would you design a batting practice? If you were like a coach, a manager of a big league team, and they're like, Jordan, you're in charge of 2 p.m. to 6.30 p.m., how are you running the show? And for those of you who don't know, the general layout right now, right, like usually – uh, teams will hit on field from like four to five, and then the other team will hit from like five to six, and it's just someone behind a screen lobbing balls towards the hitter, and they hit it in the outfield, and it's been that way forever. Jesse's article was kind of about how teams are moving towards a more realistic setup where there's a machine or there's visualization, or but it's not just as simple as lob it up and hit it. Yeah, well, and I think that that you learn, and here's a good quote from Marcus Semyon in there, like basically saying that the BP that you see on the field is essentially for show. It's essentially like going through the reps like that. To call that batting practice is not even really accurate. Like that is not the practice being done. Now, in years past, that was the practice that you did, right? That was the degree to which you could practice batting. <laughs> but now, because of so much technology that we have, whether it is simply other machines that you can also put out on the field, and sometimes you'll see pregame, whether it's a curveball machine, whether it's just the high velo stuff, there's all kinds of stuff that none of us are seeing that is so far beyond what batting practice looks like that I have to imagine most teams are moving using at this point and that is even college with some college but the stuff they have at the big league level in terms of like the traject machines 
where it is yep. the most uh uh basically it can replicate any kind of pitcher both in terms of arm angle and the spin rates and all these things. So you basically plug it in and be like, I would like to see Jake Irvin's slider. And it's like, boop, 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 boop. All right, here it is, right? And of course, you can never perfectly replicate what it feels like to be in the box and to have an actual pitcher moving in 3D and doing that. But it's pretty damn close and it's way closer than anything you're seeing in batting practice. So if it was up to me, I would encourage the use of all that stuff behind the scenes as much as possible. I don't really care the degree to which players do or don't want to use the batting practice that we see on the field because I don't think it's helping or hurting that much in either direction. But what do you think? You're the baseball coach. Why are you asking me? I do think it's just fun. Mm-hmm. Like I, when I'm at a at a yard, I want teams to take BP so I could see guys take swings. Totally, like totally. And I, I'm too. selfish. That's the other thing. Like if we move so far in the other direction, and I don't think we will because I think enough players do enjoy doing it, and it is part of the routine. And like it's hard to imagine it totally going away. But like that's also part of the. It's a huge part of the fan experience for people that want to show up before the game and watch BP. Like it really is. And so yeah. that would be, I think, a, a moving in the wrong direction. And I don't think that like. I I don't know. Like, could you imagine we get to a point where teams are saying like you you are not allowed to take batting practice on the field? Like, I would be stunned by that. I would not be stunned by that at the minor league level. Mm, okay. I know of a team that has not necessarily banned, but heavily de-emphasized the uses the use of batting tees at mm. the minor league level, and so teams mm. are very okay with restricting certain with they see as crutches for their hitters. And so I do think it would be possible at the major league level. No, I think big league hitters get to do whatever they want because they are already there. Funny how that works, right? Yeah. (laughs) Um, But yes, I, it is, it is fascinating though. And again, like, I guess this is a, this is just a great example and I'm glad Jesse wrote about it because there's some, some interesting tidbits in here, but like, this is a great example of a very basic baseball thing that is, become so much more advanced behind the scenes than what we are seeing at all, let alone at the college level. You know, he talks about that too at, you know, places like the University of Maryland. Like there's, there's a lot of ways that that hitting is being developed, uh, which is good because I think that's one of the bigger existential questions that we have about the sport is how can hitters fight back against pitchers throwing the nastiest shit we've ever seen every year. Everyone's throwing harder with higher spin rates and, and, you know, more discussing breaking stuff than we've ever seen even five years ago. So at some point, the hitters are going to have to find a way to fight back. And it feels like we're finding ways to do that, which is cool. Jordan, do you want to talk about Lionel Messi or do you want to talk about the greatest athlete of all time, me, in my men's league? Let's talk about Messi first. Great. Um, so we promised you we'd give you some soccer chatter. And on Friday, I believe, right? Friday? Friday. Friday evening, Mr. Lionel Messi, who now plays for an MLS team. Hilarious. That I only sort of understand that I understand probably involves a lot of money. Great. Yep. Happy for him. I can't believe Uh, he didn't end up with the Kansas City team. (laughs) Yeah, FC Cincinnati made a real run. Um, He's the best soccer player of all time, whatever, something like that. And now he plays for NMLS. And he came uh, into the game and in extra time, in extra innings, he, uh, with the runner automatically placed on second base, he kicked a RBI goal 
<laughs> a one RBI walk-off, a walk-off kick, goal. A walk-off, essentially a walk-off goal in extra soccer innings. In his first game in MLS. In his first game in MLS. Um, it was as, as scripted as you could possibly have it. It was amazing. This clip from Major League Soccer, the tweet, uh, Lionel Andres Messi is not human, has, not that I can trust anything on Twitter anymore. Do you mean 50, X? <laughs> 54 million views. Um, but anyway, it's amazing. It's I mean, I'm making a bunch of dumb jokes. This is one of the coolest sports things I've ever seen. Duh. Okay, great. I decided to make this about me because that's Beast. what we do on Twitter.com. Beast. But truly, I just was like, this is incredible. How is this baseball? That's that's our job, right? Here on Twitter. But I didn't wanna I didn't wanna try to make it. So I tweeted, I said, listen, I prefaced it off the rip. There obviously isn't anything remotely comparable. Let's just get that out of the way, okay? Let's. We're, there's not, okay? But I challenge anyone to come up with a hypothetical baseball parallel to 36-year-old Lionel Messi scoring a game-winning free kick goal in extra time in his MLS debut. Important word in there, Jake, is hypothetical. Come up with a hypothetical. Okay, so I tweeted this. We had a... Like literally like a thousand responses, which is what I was hoping for, because this is where I enjoy leveraging our social media following is to just throw it out to the masses and say, you be funny. I'm tired. And so I tweeted this (laughs) and went to sleep. (laughs) And so then I woke up to, as I said, like a thousand amazing responses. So the first thing is I will throw it to you, Jake. Um, Thoughts on this uh, sports highlight, and then we can talk about the question at hand and read some of our favorite responses. So the best thing about this highlight, and I think what is important to capture when you're coming up with a hypothetical, is both the inevitability of it, where when you're watching it, you're like, oh, well, he's going to score. But also how improbable him scoring is statistically in that moment, and those two feelings combined. So that's one thing. And then there's the him doing it in Miami, in MLS, I believe the first person he hugs is uh, Joseph Martinez, who is the guy who's like best friends with Francisco Cervelli, mm-hmm. who oh, was wow. on Atlanta yeah. all the time. Like it's yeah. so MLS, even though I don't think they're playing an MLS team. Still, <laughs> wasn't even I didn't even think about that. Um, yes, but anyway, the point is, is then it's like okay, so now we start we we start you know. Can I give? I'm going to yeah. give some bad answers, okay? Yes, and then I'll Here's get Here's a bad favorites. answer. Bartolo yeah. has entered the chat. Wrong. Incorrect. Yeah. The Bartolo thing was inexplicable and unpredictable, mm-hmm. and no one even considered it when he stepped up to the plate against James Shields. <laughs> right. It wasn't right. even... No one was watching. There was no anticipation mm-hmm. of it. So this is a bad right. answer. Great point. And again, that's, let's, let's also get a, a, an important part for the rest of this conversation. I wanted to come up with something that has not happened yet, okay? Obviously, there is no, there's nothing like this for a lot of reasons, which gets to the next point, which is Messi is more famous than any baseball player ever, by far, not even close. But let's, so we have to talk about, let's at least accept the parallel of it needs to be one of the greatest baseball players ever doing something great in the future. Because there's nothing, there's no comp. Now, if you can come up with someone going to another league in the past that has been like this, which maybe you can, then okay. 
but I can't. So let's think, let's get funny. Let's get, let's get crazy. Okay. And so that leads us to some of my favorite answers. Do you have a, some better answers? Cause again, I retweeted the ones that were more of along the lines that I like, such as Mike Trout on the 2027 LG twins. I think that's a little too soon, maybe 2035. <laughs> um, but okay. Okay. I know we're talking about age here. We don't have them that old. So I think the, the closest one that we've actually seen is the Jeter hit against the Orioles where you're like, wouldn't it be cool if he did this? I bet he in, does this. In that this. sense, yes. When you're talking about combining the inevitable slash, I can't believe this is actually happening. I can't believe I, I, I agree that that is something. But it doesn't capture the MLSness. No. It does not capture the best player of whatever going to a lesser, different league in an unfamiliar place and doing something amazing. Right, that's what we yeah. need to be capturing here, and so that's why sending Mike Trout to the KBO, or sending <laughs> this one just killed me. Willie Mays walks it off in extras in his debut as a Washington Wild thing, which is a, an indie ball team. Right, like <laughs> that's great. That's we, we love that. Okay, how do you feel about this one? In 15 years, Shohei Otani gets a save for an MLB Europe expansion franchise. Now we're using all of our synapses in our in our brains. This is more along the lines of what I'm I'm looking. I think this is my favorite answer from Chris Rowland on Twitter. Mike Trout still has NAIA eligibility. Mm-hmm. Homer's in debut for for like in Cumberland. the NAIA World Series. Yeah, Cumberland University. Interesting. Like okay, going down to the college again. You you don't have as much of the international flavor, right? It's it'd be one thing. Another one would be right. Like Ichiro goes back to to NPB, and but that's hit home that's run. like when Thierry Henry returns. Yeah, that's a to homecoming. Like, that's not yeah. right. That's a homecoming. That doesn't really make sense. So yeah, I mean, again, I welcome more answers. Like I, I really do love this thought exercise because it is it is so preposterous. Uh, but uh, but it, you know, made me laugh. And so thanks to the thousands of people that responded, and I encourage more people to uh, engage with this tweet. Mookie Betts RBI walk off single in the Dominican Winter League in two thousand and thirty one. Mm, I did think about Lee Dome because that. That's an interesting one. I do the reason why I like the MLB Europe expansion franchise is because that has more of the MLS feel, right? Inter like Miami. It's not yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I would want it to kind of be in a place where baseball's not not new, right? Like soccer's not new in the US, right? But it it needs to have that kind of feeling also, like kind yeah. of a newish league. That's why the Europe thing is so perfect. So anyway. All right, Jake. From the greatest athlete of all time to me, Jordan. <laughs> Let's wrap this show up with Tales from the Yard? Question mark. Tell me, Jake, what did you do this weekend? Tales from the Central Park. Uh, so as some of you know, I played baseball in college. First very poorly, then briefly very well. Upon my graduation, I moved to New York and played in some men's leagues, some Sunday leagues, some adult leagues uh, here in the area. Blew out my elbow. Got in those leagues, got Tommy John surgery, and I have not played a meaningful-ish game of baseball in New York, like on a team, since 2018, 2017. And I got dragged out by a buddy to play this weekend, and I had a great time. 
and I pitched an inning and my arm hurts. I can't really feel my fingers, but who needs it? I went 0 for 3 with two walks in a doubleheader. I struck out twice. Hitting is very hard. There was a kid throwing 84 in the men's league, and I was borderline scared, to be honest with you. Um, but it was good. It was good, Jordan. It was good to get back out there. Uh, where else did you play in the field? Just third base. Just third base. Any any action over there? Oh, yeah. Four chances. All, did, all good. No errors. Just mm-hmm. scooping it up, making strong throws over to first base. Did you – let's talk about your hitting. So you were not a hitter in no. college. You were a pitcher. Um, I you, walked although, <laughs> on four pitches in my first at-bat. And then I, I walked that. on four pitches in my second at-bat. And then you struck out twice. And then I struck out twice, yeah. On a so foul tip. You, on a foul tip. Dude, when you strike out on a foul tip, it's the worst because I hit it. I did hit it. Yeah. So – it seems like you decided I would like to get my hacks in after the first two four pitch walks. Yeah, no, it was just I just couldn't hit it, dude. It was too fast. Yeah, I just like, like hitting is so hard, and yeah. you need to be practicing the like perception aspect of it, like seeing the ball all the time. And I just couldn't do that. You haven't done that, so stepping right. in that you would have needed to see it so many more times, even if it was eighty four. Pitching though. I still nails like I ground out, ground out, strike out to get a save in the first game. Like it's, that's easy, dude. Like (laughs) my armor, it's like a ton and shit. But what was the pitch uh, mix? I told my catcher I had one breaking ball available all day. So he could call it one more. (laughs) (laughs) Other than that, it was just two seamers and sinkers and then on uh, hitters hands from the sidearm slot. Did you break any Um, bats? No, I did. I did get close. I had one. You've seen this happen to me when I'm pitching before. I start a fastball like middle in and it just tails into a hitter's grill, but they've already decided to swing. Mm. And so that was it. Just I mean, that was awkward. the moneymaker for, uh, exactly. <laughs> for, for uh, Jake Mintz there. Now, the reason I bring up my men's league experience is that I almost got ejected, Jordan. Yes. Mm. Oh, wow. In, in one or two games, you, you managed to almost get ejected. Okay. So Here's, I assume it's a one umpire situation? No, two umps, baby. Two umps. Okay. All right. So tell me the situation. So we're in Central Park. Really bad fields. Okay. Mm. Uh, we're struggling in game two. We end up winning it, coming back and winning it. But my buddy, Kenny, uh, he's hitting. He little dribbler in the Bermuda Triangle first base pitcher second base area. Pitcher, uh, or first base gets it, flips to the pitcher, bang, bang, play at the back, and the pitcher just misses the base, right? Just you can see, like, he's too far from the base, doesn't get it, called out. And we're mm-hmm. like, the umpire's name's Ray. Like, Ray, he's not even on the back, Ray. Like, clearly, Ray, come on. Can you ask for help? And Ray's like, I can't. Whatever, okay? And I'm like, Ray, no way, dude. And we're running out. It's the third out of the inning. And, like, we're running out to play defense. And I'm playing third, and we're on the third base side, okay? And I mm. run across to first base. I'm like, Ray, look, dude, you can see the footprint. <laughs> now, you can't because there's 100 footprints because it's Central Park. I'm like, I point to like a spot like five uh, five feet away from the You went out of your me. way to show him that. I went, to across, to show him that. I went across the field, and I pointed to a footprint. I said, Ray, look. Look, it's right here. And he he kind of half chuckles. He goes, come on. And then I circle it in the sand. Oh, my God. I this circle. Is like, <laughs> oh, 
<laughs> and I circled the footprint to be clear as a joke. It's it's so far from the base. I'm f- like five feet from. So first. you're basically like doing an interpretation of when you know someone strikes out looking and like draws the line, right? You're doing that yeah. except you're circling. I it's- circle a fake footprint and I go look, right. and Ray goes, get out of here get back over there and he points to third base and he's screaming and the whole like park hears him and freezes and everyone's just like nervously laughing and my teammates who don't know me because i'm not on this team are all like what the fuck dude right fair (laughs) i'm i'm laughing my ass off you're like i'm here i'm trying to make content sorry jeez that's like a combination of like Right, like the drawing the line in the dirt, and like um, the, when Patrick Beverly, polish. no, no, when Patrick Beverly like brought the camera um, out to the ref to show like that he didn't foul, or I can't remember what the situation was, and he immediately got teed up. Um, so that's great, great work. Uh, that would have been a hell of a way. That that's pretty. I mean, it'd be one thing if it was on your side of the field to like make that joke, but. I mean, dude, we're out all out here having a good time. I don't give a shit if we win or lose. I'm not on the team. Right. I don't care right. if I get ejected. It was at the end of game two. I'm just trying to have a good time on a Sunday afternoon in Central Park. <laughs> you know? And I'm sorry if the ump felt like he was insulted, but I, I take a joke, big man. I'm sorry. Yeah. you. Yeah. Showing him up. Unbelievable. Circling uh, the Oh, that's great. That's great. Good work. Good work, Jake. Glad you had a nice... Uh, Oh, and last thing, I feel no itch to do it again. As someone Mm. who played baseball his entire childhood, played in college, I don't feel the need to do it that often. My body hurts this morning. Uh, Shouts out to all the adult league warriors uh, out there doing it every week. No need. I'll pitch twice a year if people need me. That's it. That's a great point. Right. Because I think some people were wondering like, uh uh-oh, like slippery slope. Here we go. Jake's going to be out there again next week. Nope. No chance. It definitely helps how much pain you're in, but yeah, I still tons. think that you are uh, you 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 have you enjoy your, your coaching uh, your coaching responsibilities more than your your playing days. Jake is showing how screwed up his elbow is. All right, <clears throat> this has been another edition of Baseball Barbacast, a Woo! delightful one at that. Thank you, Jake, for joining me. Thank, Thank you, Chris Jordan. Tyler for producing as always be sure to leave us a rating leave us a review uh you can leave us a review and tell us what the comparable situation to the Lionel Messi free kick goal is that'd be I, I would read it on on the iTunes reviews I'd check that out um but we appreciate all the support Go as always in the review don't write a review just write your least favorite family member just write their name in the review just first name. we just it. need first name yeah. first name we can keep it <laughs> keep it subtle and we'll read those next time no just kidding uh you can email us baseball at gmail.com that's b-a-r-b cast uh we'll be back on wednesday maybe jonathan india will be traded definitely not uh but until then jake jo- jordan three weeks away from your wedding how you feeling oh shit pretty good uh <laughs> we'll be back on wednesday thank you all for listening goodbye Serious XM Podcasts.